theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Amy. Good morning, Dr. Joy. So how, how are, are you? you? I'm doing really well. Remote working Remote. From, yeah. the, from the house. And, you know, I've been thinking about remote teaching and learning and all the different ramifications that it can have on the classroom. So culturally relevant teaching, what kinds of ramifications can you see with being culturally responsive in the classroom with our students who are remote or maybe face-to-face? -face? So, you know, I didn't think about it remotely and I can imagine, you know, so culturally responsive teaching is just so important and we have this great work from Sonia Nieto, Lansing, Billings, how to teach culturally responsive and so that we are creating better citizens and we're able to relate to each other more and how important that is. And so I was thinking, you know, I'm being the pragmatic here and thinking that in order for that to happen, you really need like more exposure, right? And so sure we can teach that in theory but i think what really makes it come together is exposure so that's interesting that you would bring up in this remote learning how do we do that because if exposure really takes us to that next level then we have to be really creative in how we do that remotely you know i would imagine that you bring in other classrooms that you wouldn't be able to bring in if we were face to face, you know, check out a classroom from another country or uh, across the way. You know, I can remember uh, my husband, he retired last year. He's an art teacher. And after 42 years of teaching, as you can see, he's much older than I am. But uh, <laughs> after 42 years of teaching, he retired as an art teacher. And for a few years, several years, he worked in CPS, Chicago Public Schools. And he worked at the, in the Pullman district, which is a very, the school itself is a very poor school district, school. The community is a historic district, but the school is 100% Title I. Can you believe that? Uh, so the socioeconomics there were really low. And he did a partnership with Kenilworth. If you know anything about Kenilworth, that's one of the wealthiest communities in Illinois. And his students got to do art with those students. And it forged such a great bond. And these students became like lifelong friends. And, you know, without adults messing it up. 
<laughs> you know, so I think that exposure is so important. So it's just interesting that you talk about remote. So what do you think that we could do in this remote environment to uh, with culturally responsive teaching? Well, I think that teachers really have to look inside themselves too and think about the, the broad reaching and the, the way they uh, present themselves and the views because with with remote teaching you are entering someone's home perhaps mm -hmm. and you have to uh, keep in check what kind of uh, biases you may have you have to invite people into your own home and be respectful of other people's cultures. And this remote learning environment, it, it crosses into some, uh, crosses boundaries that we used to have in place. You go mm -hmm. to a physical building and everyone joins there together. Right. And a lot of times you don't know and you don't see what other people's cultures and backgrounds might be. You only see what they want you to right. when they enter the physical school building. Mm -hmm. And so from that, that mindset of what am I welcoming uh, people to and what are they welcoming me to? Uh, what are they privileging me to see in their home? That sounds like an invitation, like a dinner invitation. Like I should come over to your house. Absolutely. If I really want to get to know you, Amy, you know, I work with you, but if I really want to get to know you, maybe I should uh, come over for dinner. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And I think that those are the kind of connections that we need. You know, I had the fortunate opportunity of hosting foreign exchange students and it wasn't planned. It was from my previous university and we started a uh, athletic program where we accepted exchange students and uh, there wasn't a huge support system for these students. So it was during the Christmas break and I came upon a couple of students uh, and I said, so tell me, what are you doing for Christmas? And they were like, oh, we're staying in our apartment for two weeks. And I was like, oh, how horrible. So that started a relationship. And then we ended up with three students that stayed with us, one from Saudi Arabia, one from Nepal, and one from Colombia. And if you can imagine the amount that I learned, you know, I know that we were there to support them and they learned a lot, but my family learned so much through them. And those are the type of experience, a very natural experience, you know, not those that are forced upon us, that helps with this um, culturally responsiveness. And it's so important now, we have so much political unrest, you know, so it's, it's just so important right now at this time. Well, what I'd like to do is talk to our guest today about her experiences with culturally relevant teaching. Dr. Angela Johnson-Wells has been an educator for over 30 years. Yes, I'm so excited about her, you know, and, and I have her book, Effective Change, so I'm excited 
for Dr. Angela Johnson Wells to join us. You know, she now joins the ranks of those others. You know, we talked about Sonia Nieto. So those ranks of others, she's certainly a trailblazer on this topic. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So she is the founder of Ignite Academics. It's an educational consulting business that aims to provide professional development for educators. But she started her career as a teacher and then shifted into different roles such as curriculum facilitator, assistant principal, principal, and then the director of field experience for student teachers at the college level. So as you said, she just recently published her first book and I'm really excited, as I know you are, to have her with us today. Yes, let's see if she's ready to join. Good morning. We're happy to have you join us. Welcome to Teaching and Learning, Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. So you have written this amazing book, Effective Change. We'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, Joy, you want to get us started with uh, some questions? Yeah, uh, so I'm really excited. We both have our books, uh, and you now join the ranks of all those other fabulous educators in discussing culturally relevant teaching. So we're really happy. So the title of this book, Effective mm -hmm. Change, Building New Citizens Through a Culturally Responsive Educational System. Why that title and what changes in our educational practices are you aiming to change? Tell us about that. Okay, so effective change. As an educator, I've been in both P2, P through 12 education as well as in higher ed. And what's interesting is that I was in P through 12 first and then I went to um, higher ed and then I went back to P through 12. Um, teaching cultural values, the course cultural values in higher ed, I learned a lot about how to provide instruction to a diverse uh, student population. And when I went back to P through 12 schools, I noticed that students were not receiving that kind of instruction in certain schools or certain, you know, settings. Um, and where students were learning about the background and culture uh, that should be provided within the school setting. And so I felt like, um, and, and sometimes teachers didn't know or didn't provide that instruction. And so I felt like providing lesson plans and providing information that would help teachers be more efficient or or change their practice or enhance their practice is what I should say, uh, would be effective and also help them to understand, to understand their, their own identity and begin to look at the students that they serve and, and be more cognizant of how to provide the instruction based on the background and cultures of the students that they serve. I want to speak to what you said about identity. So why is embracing our own identity and then appreciating others' identities so important? And, you know, let's 
continue on that with how can educators use their own stories to help them appreciate others? Okay, yes, because when you look at your identity, you must first know who, who you are in order to appreciate someone else because we come with our own background, our own cultures. And when not only did I teach cultural values, I also taught uh, language arts and social studies. And I had a lot of different, this is going back to higher ed, and I had a lot of different students in my in, in classes and, and they brought their own traditions. And when you have your own tradition, sometimes you don't realize that others have their own traditions. So you, you have to understand who you are with your own backgrounds and your own traditions and your own cultures and what you do as a person. And, and then once you understand and you say, oh, this is what who I am and what I do. But then you have to be, begin to understand, but somebody else may um, have something else. I'm, I'm African-American and my, my family celebrates Christmas or we may do one thing, but then another culture may do something else. I am African-American, but right now I'm working with Hispanic kids. So I have had an opportunity to learn so much about the Hispanic culture, but I have to understand who I am first to know what my background of culture is so that I can share and help them understand. I can understand myself, but then I'm also understanding who they are and learning their background and culture so that I will be able to understand who they are and respect them as a person or people of color. That's, that's a great segue for this next question. So thank you for that. Nationally known literacy expert, uh, Socor uh, Herrera confirms students come to the classroom with different biographies, experiences, dispositions, and understanding that are toolkits. We can use these as toolkits. So talk about how can we use those toolkits in a positive way to assist children as we build diverse, effective, and productive citizens. Talk about that, because these are all gifts that they bring to the classroom, right? Yeah, so that's what, yes, that's one of the things that I wrote down. Kids come with their own back, backgrounds and cultures to the classroom. And actually, that was something I was just doing uh, with, with some kids. You, you actually ask them questions and let them talk about themselves. And when you let them talk about themselves, you get them engaged. You want to engage your, your students. And that's very important because when you get the students engaged, uh, research also says it improves their academic performance and it allows them to want to continue to be involved in, in whatever the academic uh, lessons that you're teaching. And in the book, I share lesson plans and I also share evidence-based practices that can be used in the classroom uh, to improve academic performance of students. And it's also using, I also talk about using research-based practices and books. Like, for example, uh, just using the toolkits of what's going on. Well, that's not a part of your question, so I'll wait till we get to that. I, it's so many things that I can think about. But using the students' backgrounds, for example, like today, when I was asking the kids about 
what are some of the things that they like and what are some of the things that they like to do uh, Sanford and Harmony talks about social and emotional learning, and they have evidence-based practices in their uh, program, and we're using some of those when you begin to have students begin to get to know each other. And when you're talking about getting to know each other, and you have a group of kids that may be Hispanic and you have some African-American kids and you have some Caucasian kids and they're getting to know each other and they're coming from different backgrounds and you're and you're having them to see how they have similarities and they're having differences and they're saying oh I do that too and I, I and or or it may be different, but we still have some similarities and differences, but you're bringing these tools together to help having them to uh, use what they're bringing to the classroom as you begin to say, oh, now I know what these kids are bringing and I can use what they're bringing, bringing to the classroom and then take that information and use research-based and evidence-based practices as I begin to develop my lesson plans uh, to teach based on what I know about my students. So uh, Dr. Amy and I, we were talking earlier before you came on about how do you accomplish this in a remote learning environment? Like you said, your classroom is predominantly or either all uh, Hispanics or uh, Latinos. So how do you, in this remote environment, bring that into those toolkits into your classroom? So, yes, yeah, so it's funny how sometimes things happen where um, something will pop up. Like this morning, um, the kids were coming in the classroom and mom popped up instead of the kids. So I took an opportunity to say, hi, mom, let's talk about what's going on at home. You know, you, you uh, take opportunities to look at what's going on in the home. You ask them about things that are going on at home. And, and that's where the SEL comes in because you want to look at what how they're feeling. Um, you want to take the time to look at families because you have families that have situations that make it hard for them to be there. And um, so you want to make sure it takes a lot of your time right now because sometimes I have to talk to families at night because right now I'm having so many problems with kids just getting into the computer because they because of passwords and all of the things that are going on. But so you can't so when they come in, you have to say, Oh, it's just so good. It's so good to see you. So you have to make them feel good about just being able to get there. Right now, it's very important just to talk, to make it about them. And then you might hear the dog barking, or you might hear a kid, the the animals there. So then I make I turn it around to the the person who likes the has a turtle, uh, or whatever their pets may be. I make the pet whatever they're talking about. I make them talk in a uh, complete sentence, and then I make the about the grammar. You know, you turn the communities. I talk about the communities. Right now, we're talking about communities, so I talk about what's going on in the community and voting, and and who are our community leaders. I just found about found about the students that I'm working with now. They don't even know in Chicago who their mayor is. 
I said, you don't know who your mayor is? So I had to pull up on the computer who the mayor is, who the governor is, and, and I'm pretty sure they know who the president is, I hope. So right before I came to here, I said, I, could, I, I showed them, but I wasn't sure if they understood who the president was. But so we're talking about communities. So then I made, I connected to real life. So that's what I'm, it's very important to answer your question is connecting things to real life so that you are able to help them understand um, what's going on in real life. And then that will help them to become engaged when you're connecting it to real life. And connected to that, I want to know, not only do we need to connect to them and know about our students, in fact, your reflection questions, when we were talking about the lesson plans that you were you know, helping teachers design in your book, you know, describe your identity, tell your story, describe the identities of your students. How can you use literature to develop a lesson to teach your students about identity using literature? But in this remote teaching experience, and looking through the lens of cultural responsiveness, is there anything that you would suggest that we be particularly mindful of during this remote teaching and learning environment? Is there anything that we need to check or be careful about or be mindful of in our interactions? Yes, going back to the identity helping students understand their own identity and who they are by by helping to, them to understand who they are by asking them questions about themselves and then helping them to understand their classmates by uh, like, for example, even when I was asking them questions about themselves and when I was asking them questions about who they are, I also say, well, I also, we had a game today where they were asking questions about, um, they begin to ask their peers questions. I had uh, a game board up and I had them to write down three questions and then they began to ask each other online uh, questions about about each other. So they begin, they can begin, They now that they've asked, they answer questions about themselves, now they're answering questions about each other, asking questions about each other. Um, but when we begin to think about what's going on in our community, going back last year in March, something that I did with the kids when we had um, something that I did with what's going on in our communities is when the, the police officers, what was going on in the community, I had our kids to, to read something happening, something happened in our town. It was a, a book that was uh, written by three ladies. And what happened was a, a white police officer shot a black man so the in the story the characters were going back and forth uh, with oh it was, it was an accident and then they and the, another character say no it wasn't an accident it was done on purpose so what i did was i had the students to listen to the story online and i said what i want you to do is i want you to listen to it with your families and i want you to have a discussion with your families and then we're going to come back together and we're going to have a discussion about it um just uh, to get 
parents involved. So what I'm trying to say is what's going on, I would like to have families involved in things. Um, and that's also a part of, you know, the identity and culture responsive teaching, having the, the cultures of the families and the cultures of the students coming together. And so what happened was uh, the, the kids came back and they all had response. So, but one of the things that just kind of lingers with me is one of the kids came back and said, well, my, my, my parents said that God um, doesn't look at, at color. God looks at the heart. Then we had a discussion about uh, what that was all about because they were thinking about what had happened in the community when the police officer shot someone and the gentleman was was killed. So those are the types of things that I like to do in the classroom with the kids, um, just to begin to connect with what's going on in the community, but also with culture and background. Because again, last year, most of my kids were, were Hispanic, um, but these, um, but the, but this happened in, you know, to begin to help them to understand what was going on with, in the community. But also what I do with the kids, I do a lot of things with, with, with culture is with holidays. Of course, you do things with them to help them understand what's going on with with the holidays um, with their culture but i also do things with them to help them understand other cultures with um, with black history hispanic national holidays which we're working on right now and all of those types of things yes okay very very good very good a lot of interesting things i'd like to visit that classroom i don't know if you know the chad beach he's the uh evangelist he you know, just really, really hyper and exciting. But he said something recent in a mm -hmm. talk show, and I found it pretty fascinating. He said, all of us are the subtotal of our influences. And when I heard that, I thought of something that I read in your book, when you talked about how students benefited from knowing about other cultures. So do you think that this type of teaching would help to migrate some of the racial unrest that we're seeing right now? I mean, because we're seeing just a ton of racial unrest. It's going from, you know, peaceful protests to rioting. So do you think this type of teaching helps us to soothe? Yes, and, and, and I think that what's going on, um, and I know teachers may not want to hear this, but I think that that's why it's very, very important that as um, educators that we, it becomes us. We have to start teaching our kids about multiple cultures very early. And that's why we need to teach our kids, not just if we, if there are all African-Americans in one school, it doesn't mean we just teach them about African-Americans, we have to teach them about the Hispanic culture, the um, Italian culture, the uh, all cultures, the uh, Indian culture or the uh, Asian culture, rather, the all cultures. We need to teach our kids about all cultures um, because what happens is I feel, as Dan Brown said, that um, we fear what we don't understand. Absolutely. And what, right, so we, if we understand a culture, we'll be able to um, 
accepted or be able to work with people better. And if we teach our children that, we'll be able to work with them better. For example, there's a lot of things going on with the police officers and with the shootings and everything. And I think, you know, not with just education, I, I believe that if police officers went through training where they had an opportunity to be uh, with cultures that they work in a different areas and get a chance to work with people that they don't know, not just go there uh, when it's time to uh, go on a call, it would be a little bit better. We need a whole different social structure uh, so that people begin to know and understand different cultures, um, not just meet them and say, okay, this is the African-American group, this is the Irish group, this is an Italian. We need to begin to learn each other's cultures and backgrounds and know each other and, and work together. And that's what I think we need to teach our children. And I don't think it's hard for people to understand. Oh yeah, we, we read the book and we, are, we know that background. We need to be able to come together and know more about each other. And I think we actually need to maybe um, get together and uh, work together through school. It might be a good idea to even remotely come together since we're not doing this remote, uh, I, I, you know, have this remote idea right now and come together maybe uh, and work together remotely uh, sometimes. That, that, and sounds like a, that sounds like a good idea. We can have a whole other <laughs> conversation on that because yeah. you know, race is really not real. That, you know, right. There's only one human race and we can have a whole mm -hmm. other conversation on that. Yes. Mm -hmm. In our podcast, we want to make sure that we have a lot of resources that our listeners and our might be able to take away. And your book is is definitely one of them. But I wonder in, in researching and in writing your book, who did you lean on most in terms of theoretical approaches and implementations in practice? Uh, who are some other resources that you can direct our listeners to? Some of the people that I really like for my, my dissertation when I was writing my dissertation, um, I really looked at some of these people, but these are people that I really like, uh, like Gen Geneva Gay, Darlene Hammond. I like James Banks as a person who is like the father of multicultural education. Yeah. So I really, yeah. really, really like him. Lucy Calkins is a person who uh, is a person who I really like to look at when I was making change and, and things like that. And Lisa Delpit, background, but all of my references are, are in the back of my book. James Banks is a person who, he may be an older person, but Geneva Gay, she's the one that says, and I'll really uh, quote her, she talks about when, when children come in your classroom, they want to feel like they're invited to your classroom. And if, you, if they come into your classroom and they don't see themselves, then they don't feel like they're welcome. So when, you, um, when someone is in your classroom, then you want to make sure that your curriculum and, well, now we don't have the walls right now as much, but your curriculum should include them. So you want to uh, make sure that your curriculum includes those people, 
the, the students that you serve. But now I also want to take that further and make sure that the curriculum includes everybody. Um, so, um, uh, and, and that's what I wanted to share, uh, especially about um, when you talk about research, is Geneva Gay is one of my favorites. Uh, and, and before you go, I love Geneva Gay as well, and and James Banks. Uh, and you're right; he's a he's a really old uh, staple, but uh, he's great. I recall using him in my dissertation uh, back in the day. So, uh, but before you go, I, I do want to ask you uh, a pretty relevant question, and I know some parents may have this on their minds. You know, many of the school districts I hear they're offering resources for remote learning. You know, they're offering laptops, but I hear sometimes they're only offering one laptop per family, and there may be four children, school-age children. Some children may not have access to Wi-Fi. So tell me about the resources that your school have, and do you see that this is there's a difference? and how students are receiving resources to be successful remotely. So can you talk about that a little bit before you go? Yes, I've heard some from some of my friends that maybe their kids don't have um, all of the research resources, like they may not have the Chromebooks or they may not have the Wi-Fi. However, I have to, I'm, my where I work they work really hard to get all of their parents from um, Chromebooks. Um, so if I my parents call and say they don't have a Chromebook, they're getting it. Um, and if they call and say that it's not working, they're getting a, getting another one. Okay. Um, the only problem is the access. So there may have been problems with the access, but the problem is not really so much the Chromebook. It's probably the parent or us, either they're putting it in too many times and is they're getting locked out. So we have to start all over again with either a new password or something like that. I think um, and because of the language, we have a lot of um, bilingual parents at the school where I work. So sometimes there's a difficulty with the language. So we have a we've invited a lot of our um, staff to come up to the school or outside of the school because of the COVID to uh, assist parents that are Spanish speaking to help them with the Chromebooks because they can't understand how to. Uh, work the book Chromebooks oh, based yeah. on the language. So yeah. it takes a lot of resources. So you can see that those counselors and school psychologists and your tech support people are, still have to be very hard at work during this remote environment. So lots of resources and tech support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Dr. Amy, you have any final questions before we let Dr. Angela Johnson-Wells go? And then I will tell our listeners how they can grab this book. Absolutely, and it is about the book. I, I know that doing research and doing uh, and writing and uh, putting things together can really shift and change us in some ways. How did writing a book about culturally responsive education affect you or maybe even change you? 
it helped me become very humble um, because I found out a lot about a little bit about teachers. Um, I went, I found out that I am the one that's more have a passion. I have the passion for the um, culturally responsive teaching because I know how much it can make a change in the academic performance of students. Because I last year, you know, I did went back into the classroom and work with kids. And I was able to move kids using the culturally responsive teaching. I was working with special ed kids and I was able to help move kids in reading and math, some of them back into the regular general education classroom because I was using background and culture and um, using strategies that connected to them. Um, so, but sometimes you, have to keep working with teachers to help them understand because it's not always what they do. But I also um, was excited. I was excited to see that the school where I work now, they're actually doing a lot of the same thing that I wrote in my book. So I've, I've, I'm getting some ideas from them. And um, I said, oh, I'm glad to see that some people are doing some of these things already. So yeah, so I'm I'm just excited about it. I just want to see a lot of people beginning to understand how we can, if we all come together as a group, because right now I see a lot of divisiveness in our nation. And I would like to see more unity with us as a whole group, no matter what your race or culture is. So that's one of the reasons, that's why I say building a new citizen is a part of the title. I would like to see, a citizen, see citizens that are um, coming together in unity, um, no matter who you are, what color you are, or what, you know, culture you have. So, um, so that's, you know, um, how I feel about the book. And I'm hoping that it can just get out there so people can just see how, how much uh, better we can be unified. Well, that's a good segue for us into <laughs> this. So we join your excitement. And I really, really like what you said about how you work with your children with special needs to get them back into the regular classroom. That is awesome. So those are some great tips that we can take away. So again, the name of the book is Effective Change, Building New Citizens Through a Culturally Responsive Educational System, written by Dr. Angela Johnson-Wells. And you can find this book, I believe, I think I got mine from Amazon, right? So Amazon.com, you can find this book. You see the beautiful, it has a beautiful color of puzzle pieces and all different colors as a symbol to let us know that regardless of our differences, we are all united and there is unity in all of us and together we are better. So we are so happy to have had you today. We look forward Thank to you. having you again. We got so many topics on this issue, so we could talk to you all day. So Thank you. Enjoy your day. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Bye. I found it so fascinating to hear 
Dr. Johnson Wells talk about identity and about our own stories. It's as a narrative inquirer of researcher, I've been fascinated with the backgrounds of people who, uh, where they came from, what is the story behind the numbers? And what struck me as so very powerful is not only just the story and getting to know our students in the classroom, but that invitation to learning, that invitation that is now very intimate because of the remote learning. We, have, we are entering into other people's homes and they're entering into ours. But in the classroom, even in the physical structure, what are we doing to invite students? Are they uh, seeing themselves in our classroom, in the books on our shelves, and in our lessons, in the stories we tell, uh, the literature we read? Is that part of the invitation? So I wonder, you know, what else, uh, you see that we can take away from the interview with Dr. Johnson Wells today. You know, I really like what she's bringing to her classroom. So she's really taken what she has written in the book and things that she has gained from so many other educators like James Banks, she mentioned, um, uh, Sonia Nieto and some Lansing Billings, just people that she's mentioned, how she's been able to take their work and her work and apply it in the classroom. And not only apply it in the classroom, but to actually go the extra step of how do we create these experiences while we're teaching remotely. And she talked about how, she, you know, when she sees a grandparent or she sees a parent or she sees a, a, a dog uh, on the camera, you know, how she folds that into her lesson uh, so that the students can get to know more about each other's, more about each other's culture and their family life. And when we learn, the more we learn, you know, the more we appreciate each other and we have respect for each other. And what that does, it breaks down, you can see that it breaks down barriers and it breaks down fear, you know. So um, I thought it was pretty powerful how she's been able to take what she has written and actually apply it. And I think she also talked about how some of the teachers in her school are starting to apply some of those techniques. So, you know, that's awesome. I agree. I think that the book she writes pr prompts us to really reflect on our instruction. I love the reflection questions that she has in each of the sections and how each section encourages us to dig a little deeper, a little, uh, a, a little deeper and be more reflective on our practice and, and on our identity as we move forward in, in teaching others. So it's a great opportunity for us to learn more and hopefully for our listeners to, uh, have a few takeaways from today's conversation. Yeah, I think our listeners will have some great takeaways. So I'm looking forward to what they think. Hit us up on Facebook.
And we do have a copy of this book to give away. So we want to give it away. So uh, first person, what do you want to do? You want to do the first person, 10th person, someone that hits us up on Facebook. Let's tell us you want the book. Go to Facebook, tell us you want the book and send us your contact. We'll get your contact information and we'll send you a free book. So first one, that'd be great. Okay. Talk to you later, Amy. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you. Our listeners, did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.